Our scripture reading this week comes out of Luke in the 24th chapter, verse 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified, and on the third day would rise again? Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told, told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooped and looked in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. The word of God for the people of God. Christ is risen. He, he is risen indeed. That's the good news in this scripture. When I was in seminary, I had a preaching professor that said, no matter what else you say in the sermon, tell them the good news. In some pericopes, and in some situations, it's really hard to find the good news. It's hard to find exactly where God is or what lesson we're supposed to be learning. But today, that is not the case. Today is the greatest news we could ever hear. Christ is risen. When we last read about Jesus on Friday night, we heard that Joseph of, Aram Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had taken care of Jesus' body. Pilate had given them permission to take his body down and lay it in the tomb. It was Friday evening, nearing sundown. The Sabbath day was about to start, so they needed to be somewhat hasty in their actions. They wrapped him in a cloth and spices, as was the custom for burial in those days, the days before our need for modern ways of preservation. We also read that there was a brand new tomb laying very close in the garden on Golgotha. In the ancient world, tombs were not necessarily final resting places, as we think of them today. And often, there was more than one body in the tomb at a time. At the time, the bodies would be put into the tombs, sometimes even into a sarcophagus first, with the spices and other minerals to help the body do its thing. When the remains reached a certain point, they would be removed from the tomb and placed in a jar or in a box. And then another body would go into the tomb. I mention this not to upset anyone, but to explain what is meant when we read that no one had ever been laid in the tomb before him. The men who were able to, were able to procure the tomb and laid Jesus in it, and they rolled the stone in front of it and made their way home for the Sabbath. 
It is because of this hasty burial preparation that the Marys and Joanna and the other women find their, made their way to the tomb the first moment that they could. The Jewish Sabbath is from five minutes before sundown Friday night until there are three stars in the sky on Saturday night, which is usually about an hour after sundown. So just as soon as morning light gilded the sky, they set off to prepare him properly to make sure the correct anointing was done, that he was wrapped correctly, that the proper prayers had been said, and I'm sure to gain some closure on the events of the last several days. The Easter message contains elements of experience, memory, and exegetical insight. When the women first arrived at the tomb, they were confronted with something that didn't make any sense. They had heard Jesus' teachings and they had seen him die. They may have even been witness to the plans that Joseph and Nicodemus had made. Experience brought them to the tomb that early Sunday morning because they knew what had to be done. But they were met with something that their experience had not prepared them for. So then their memory had to take over. The angels, we assume they were angels, suddenly were standing there with them. The men told them to remember everything that Jesus had said to them. Suddenly the words came flooding back. They remembered all the times that Jesus had predicted his passion. But Jesus' words were still veiled, and their experiences were still opaque. The exegetical insight comes after today's scripture. To exegete means to explain or interpret a text, specifically scripture. And after the disciples, and for, excuse me, and for the disciples, it isn't until Jesus appears to the men on their walk to Emmaus, and that Jesus tells the men himself and takes them through the scriptures of Moses that they start to understand. And eventually the veil was lifted. I'm sure I have used this before, but I will use it again, and probably will, even after today. But it's like the scene in The Matrix, when Neo first begins to realize what has happened to him. He had been living his life, going to work, feeling like he understood the truth, but it had not been the truth. He asks Morpheus why his eyes hurt, and Morpheus says, because you've never used them before. There are more than just a few things we can learn from Luke's account of the Easter story. The first might be, nay, is the most important. God's ways are not our ways. To know God fully is beyond our comprehension. God's ways overthrow our own expectations. God's ways demand the things that we have deemed impossible. There have been ways in which we can begin to understand God. Through our various sciences, I believe we have, a strength, we have strengthened our knowledge of God, tapped further into an understanding of our creator and the creation itself. We think we know what God might do in a situation. We think we can control an outcome because it is what we want. But God keeps working until God's ways are realized. We see a task and say, there is no way. But through God, 
that impossible task or impossible outcome or impossible healing swoops in. God's ways are not our ways. The second lesson that we can glean from Luke's narrative comes from the angels. As the women put their heads to the ground in anguish and confusion, one of the angels asks, Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? We often do this in our own lives. We want to tend to the corpses of long-dead ideas and ideals. We are afraid of change, holding on to the past, our past selves, and even our past churches as though it may come back as long as we hold tight. We are afraid to allow our families to change. We gather with our families. This might just be me, so take that with a grain of salt. We gather with our families and immediately fall back into versions of ourselves that we have long put away because it is how they see us. You're giggling, so I know this is not just me. Yes. 20 years ago, you might not have been known, you, you might not have known which way was up. And even though you've accomplished so much and made tremendous changes in your life, the family still sees you as the person you were. And no matter how much time passes, you slink back into that person when you're around them. We continually stay in situations even when we know they are wrong because it is safe and it is familiar. The voice of the angel that first Easter morning offers us the, ch- offers us the challenge to move on into a new life. They remind us that Jesus Christ dwells wherever new life bursts forth. Why do we look for the living amongst the dead? The third lesson comes again from the apparently and obviously very wise angels. They told the women to remember what he had told them. The words of Jesus Christ floods us with an understanding of how we should live our lives, both with each other and with ourselves. Jesus told his disciples that he would be handed over to sinners, that he would die, but on that third day, he would rise again. The empty tomb points us to his time in Galilee. The empty tomb cannot be separated from the words and the actions of Jesus. The resurrection is our invitation to live as Jesus lived, to a life where we share meals with enemies, offer healing to the hopeless, and give prophetic challenges to the powerful. We must remember what he has told us. Luke wrote his gospel at a turbulent time in Jewish history. By the 60s, Around the time Peter and Paul were executed, the Jews had revolted against the Roman Empire in Jerusalem. Luke was making quite a statement when he wrote his account of Easter. He was sure to emphasize the role of women, because about that time that he was writing, there was another man named Josephus who was also doing some writing. Josephus had some things to say about women, that unfortunately many of us are still fighting today. He said, this is him, from women let not evidence be accepted because of the levity and temerity of their sex. 
Well, as a female pastor, descended from a female pastor, I definitely take issue with that. And so I am thankful for people like Luke, who made sure we knew that it was the women who were first at the tomb. No offense, guys. That first Easter morning, the power of God was no longer unspoken. The women saw the empty tomb and raced back to tell the others what they had seen. These women became the first evangelists, the first preachers of the risen Christ. And even though the men did not believe them and they had to rush to see for themselves, the truth was out. It was believed and reported by the women and finally by the others. From there, the word started to spread. It was like the Fabergé organics approach to evangelism. I told two friends, and they told two friends, and so on, and so on. Silence was broken, and the word got out, which is exactly what God asks of us. They spread the good news, the greatest news. Christ is risen. Amen.